Uh, good morning, my name's Andrew, I'm the pastor of uh, Sydney Hill. It's great that you can join us this morning for church. Life is full of warnings. We get bombarded with warnings all the time. And because we get bombarded with so many warnings, we're reasonably good at filtering out the ones that, were, that are relevant for us and the ones that are not. Some warnings, they just don't connect really all that much with real life. There's a, a warning here that I saw on a bottle of children's cough medicine. Uh, the warning says this, when using this product, drowsiness may occur... Avoid alcoholic drinks. Be careful when driving a motor vehicle or operating machinery. Children's medicine. It's a bit of a silly warning. The chances of one of my children knocking back a few craft beers and then heading out to operate some earth-moving equipment while on the stuff, well, that's actually... The chances of that happening are quite small. But there are other warnings that are not so silly. Now, the warning slip, slop, slap. It's catchy. It's got alliteration. Um, It even has a a cartoon form, uh, but it carries with it a warning of great relevance. Uh, We live in a country that has the unenviable reputation for the greatest rate of melanoma of anywhere in the world, uh, even greater than Australia. Slip, slop, slap. It's catchy, but it's a warning that comes to us with deadly seriousness. Just ask anyone who's lost someone they love to skin cancer or anyone who's had surgery to have a skin cancer removed from their body. Some warnings come to us with very strong relevance. And and when they come, we need to give them our full attention. And in this passage today, we read one of those serious warnings. Today's kind of, it's, it's, it's not a rainbows and lollipops kind of everyone's happy passage. This is a serious and relevant warning about God in Matthew chapter 3. And it's the warning, this is the warning, it's the warning that God will not ignore sin forever. God will not ignore sin forever. There will come a time where God's patience will end and he will punish people who haven't done what he wants them to do. Now, I'm acutely aware that this is not a popular idea about God. Most people like to think of God as this kind of big, soft, cuddly guy in the clouds or someone who's going to give us the benefit of the doubt or someone who's keeping a really good record of the good things we do and he's not so good at accounting for the bad ones. But those pictures of God are not the pictures of God we meet in the Bible, the true and living God of uh, the Bible. That's not what he's like. The Bible's really clear that sin matters to God. Sin matters to God, and it, it needs to. It's actually, we want it to. If you want justice in this world, then sin has to be brought to account at some point. Sin matters to God. He will not put up with people who ignore Him. He will not put up with people who reject Him forever. And we don't need to go much further than Matthew chapter chapter 3 to see that. And here we're going to see three things, uh, the what, the why and the who of John the Baptist's warning to Israel. Uh, Because that's what this chapter contains. It's about a guy called John pounding the streets of Palestine and he's, he's raising the alarm, he's yelling out a warning to Israel. And that warning has great relevance for us as well because of what it tells us about God. So firstly, the what of the warning. What is John the Baptist warning Israel to do? What does he want them to do? Well, it's not too hard to find out. It's summarized for us in a single word in verse 1. Verse 1, take a look. Verse 1, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent. 
Uh, that word is it's kind of it's a pretty effective summary of everything that John wants Israel to do. He wants them to repent. Now, repent is a bit of an old-fashioned kind of churchy word. It's not one we use much in everyday life, but it basically means to turn around. It means to change the way you do things and reorientate your life. Uh, now, Wellington, if you've uh, recently moved here, you'll know um, maybe by uh, accident that it, it's full of one-way streets. And say, for example, you're driving around the city and then you suddenly realise that you're going the wrong way down one of Wellington's many one-way streets. What do you do? Well, the moment you realise that, you don't just continue on uh, into the traffic. You turn around as fast as you can. You turn around as fast as you can and you start heading in the right direction. That's what repenting is. It's turning your life around. Uh, And in the Bible, the word repentance always means turning your life around so that you're now going in the direction that God wants you to go. You're now going in his direction. Instead of ignoring God, instead of living in opposition to God, instead of going on in life as though God doesn't exist or doesn't care about what we do, it means turning around and getting your life, your whole life aligned with God. And in John the Baptist's case, this is where his baptism fits in. His baptism symbolised for Israel, that reorientation. Uh, Take a look at uh, chapter 3, verse 5 with me. Uh, Verse 5. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. And then jump down to verse 11. John says, verse 11, I baptise you with water for repentance. You see, back then, this, this baptism that John was doing, it was a very physical way of kind of symbolically showing that you've repented, that you've turned from your sins and you've turned back to God. And baptism, it kind of symbolized the dying or drowning to the old way of life and coming up now to live a new life. And that's what John wanted Israel to do, to repent, to turn their life around, to drown to being not serious about God and now live seriously for God. And you notice that it's actually, it's not just doing the action of baptism or doing the action of repentance. Uh, It's about living seriously for God. John's not playing word games here. It's not a flippant sort of, yes, God, I repent, and then just going on and living as though nothing has ever changed. No, John is calling Israel to authentic repentance. Authentic repentance, that means that their lives and their lifestyle and their actions will be different from that point on. And that's why John gets stuck into the Pharisees in verse 7. Uh, verse 7, uh, verse seven uh, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And here it is, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were the religious leaders of the day, and the the trouble with them was that they knew all the right words to say. They knew the right phrases to string together in a community group or a Bible study. They they turned up to church all the time, and they prayed the most eloquent eloquent of prayers. Uh, But for them, it was just skin deep. Their life never changed. The way they actually did things during the week showed that there was no evidence of repentance at all. There was no fruit of repentance in their life. It's like the person who um, jokes that giving up smoking is really easy because they've done it three or four times already. Uh, you see, they've, 
they talk about it, but they're just not serious about it. Now, I get that addiction is difficult and complicated, but there's, you know, the person, they've played around with the idea, uh, they go a couple of days without a smoke, and then they get some patches because they've kind of, you know, given it a go, but their heart is not in it. And it gets tough, and they just, they go back. John the Baptist is warning Israel to not treat sin like that. Repent and mean it. And for goodness sake, get serious about God once and for all and start living it out. Produce fruit in accordance to repentance. And that's a pretty relevant warning for Israel back then. You didn't, it wouldn't take long to flick through the history of Israel in the Old Testament to see that they've got a pretty mixed record when it comes to living out God's will, when it comes to putting this sort of repentance into practice and living God's way. Uh, time and time again, God is generous to Israel. He's very forgiving to Israel. He's very giving towards Israel, but they just keep pushing him away and away and away. And they keep chasing after other gods and they kept being disobedient despite his many calls for them to return. And now you see John the Baptist has, has hopped up and he's telling them and anyone else and everyone who will listen, for goodness sake, repent this time. For goodness sake, turn your hearts and your minds and your lives around to God. Return to God. Humble yourselves properly and start living rightly. And there's a real sense of urgency in his voice here. He is very aware that time is running out for Israel. And that's the what, repent. And here's the why. Now look again at verse 2. Verse 2, repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is near. You see, the reason that Israel needs to repent is because the clock is ticking. Time is running out. The kingdom of heaven is near. Or to put it another way, the rule of God is about to come down upon Israel. The judgment about, of, of God is about, to, is about to fall on them. And this sense of impending judgment is amplified by Matthew, who now goes back to the Old Testament and quotes from the prophet Isaiah in verse 3. In verse 3 he says, This is he... That is John the Baptist he's talking about. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. You see, all through the Old Testament, there have been these these predictions and these expectations that one day God himself would show up. One day God himself would come to earth and he was going to come to judge. One day enough would be enough and God would come to sort things out. And that was going to be such an important event that, that before he arrived, he was going to send a messenger to Israel to get his people ready, to prepare them so they were ready for the coming of God. Isaiah talked about one calling in the wilderness. And here we have John the Baptist, and we've already been told that he was in the wilderness preaching. Isaiah talked of one preparing the way for the Lord. Well, that's what John the Baptist is doing. He is doing it by telling Israel to repent, to get ready for the coming of God. Uh, on Friday morning, I was riding my bike. I was riding um, up over the Haywoods, which is kind of between Porua and uh, Upper Hutt, and uh, Murray's given it away already. I was riding along, and a, a, a car flew past me with a flashing light on the top and a, and a big sign saying, Beware, wide load. And... When I saw that car, what did I do? Well, I took action. I moved as far over to the left as possible. And I'm glad I did because not long after I moved over, this, this house came hurtling past me at 80 kilometers an hour. And on, it, was a kind of, it was on the back of the truck. Um, it wasn't all by itself. 
Um, but, but this house, it took up half the breakdown lane that I was in. I was so glad for the warning. I was so glad for that pilot car that, that warned me of the impending danger. It came and it told me what was coming and I was able to take appropriate action and it saved me from being roadkill. And that's John the Baptist. He's that car with the sign and the flashing light. His, his, his very presence as the messenger means that it's not long now. The Lord God himself is almost here, any corner now, and he'll be coming. And so John says, you need to repent. And the importance of Israel getting their life in order, well, it's now, it's, it's now urgent. Because God cannot allow sin forever. And when he arrives to visit Israel, it's not going to be a social call. It's not going to be popping in for tea and biscuits. He's coming with serious business to do with his people. Uh, which John points out to the Pharisees in verse 10. Verse 10 is chilling. Take a look. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. You see the urgency there. They desperately need to get their act together because God is coming. And anyone who isn't ready for him, anyone still ignoring him, defying him, rejecting him, Well, John is saying clearly they will be cut down and burnt, judged and punished by the God of the universe. And so he's telling them, get ready. You need to be ready for this. And the way to be ready for this is to repent, to turn around. And there's one more aspect to what John is warning Israel, and that's the what. We've had the what, repent, we've had the why, because God's judgment is coming, and now we've got the who. And here John describes who the actual person is who will be putting the axe to those who do not repent. Who is it that's going to cut down the trees that bear no fruit? And who is the one who is going to bring the kingdom of heaven that has come near? Take a look at verse 11 with me. Verse 11 says, this is John speaking, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You see, the one coming after John is infinitely more powerful than him. John baptizes people with, with water as a symbol of repentance, but the one coming after him will baptize with power and with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will actually enable us to, to live out the repentance that we desire, not just symbolize it. This one, verse 12, his winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather up the wheat into his barn and burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This one God is going to visit. He's going to come with his spirit. He's going to come with power. And he is going to come to judge. And then, who comes in verse 13? Who comes in verse 13? Verse 13 begins, Then Jesus came. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so. For it is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. 
With him I am well pleased. There is an awful lot going on in those verses and we will probably touch on some of it again next week. Uh, But I want you to see one particular thing this morning. The thing I want you to see is that Matthew very clearly wants us to realize that Jesus is the one that John has been preparing Israel for. Jesus is the one. John had spoken of someone whose sandals he wasn't worthy to carry. And here is someone who John admits he is not worthy to baptize. John saying he should be baptized by him. John has spoken of someone who has a baptism superior to his, someone who will baptize with the Spirit of God himself. And now as Jesus is baptized, we see the Spirit descends on him and rests on Jesus. And then God clinches the deal in verse 17 with those words from heaven, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. It's a staggering moment in the history of Israel. God has said he is coming to visit. God has said he is coming to judge and the axe is already at the foot of the tree. It is so close and now God is saying the person holding the axe, the person who has come to judge, the person who is me visiting you, it is Jesus of Nazareth. God has come to visit and it's his son. The one with whom God is well pleased. The one with whom God's spirit rests. The one who will bring the judgment that John is warning the people about. And now the terrible tragedy here is that most of Israel, they don't repent at all. And Matthew's gospel is going to be kind of the horrible history of that. As Uh, God has prepared the way through John the Baptist. He's called people to return back to him, to repent. And then Jesus comes and Jesus says exactly the same thing as John. We'll see it uh, in a couple of weeks' time in the next chapter. Jesus is going to say exactly word for word, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And what does Israel do? Well, they reject him and they refuse him and they don't change their lives because of him. And then eventually they they plot against him and then they, 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 they kill him and put him to death on the cross. So complete is their rejection of God that they kill the Son of God when he comes to save them. And so God has rejected them as his people. And with this kind of sobering reality in view, we can see the relevance of this passage for us. It's not, a, it's not an easy passage for us this morning. Because what we can see here is something about God. His patience is wonderfully great, but it is not limitless. His patience is wonderfully great, but it is not limitless. Limitless. Matthew chapter 3 tells us that, it tells us this clearly, that there will, become a, there will come a time in the future where God will say, enough is enough. There comes a time when God is done with people rejecting him, where he is done with people refusing him and offending him, and he will bring his righteous judgment on them. That time will come, but for you and I, that time is not yet. Not yet. And what that means is that now is the time to heed the call of John the Baptist. Now is the time to repent. Now is the time to admit that we fall short of God's standards, to ask to be forgiven, to reorientate our lives so that now God is at the centre, to receive the forgiveness that God offers us and to receive the Holy Spirit that he promises so that our lives can be changed and they can be shaped and they can be renewed and we can live the life that God wants us to live, obedient to him. 
You see, we live now in that window of opportunity. It's now that window of opportunity to repent and turn back to God. And it's a window that is not going to stay open forever, as John says. John the Baptist is right. Judgment is coming. Be prepared. Repent and bear fruit that Jesus will baptize you with his Holy Spirit. You can be changed. You can be renewed. You can be forgiven. But you need to repent before it is too late. And so I want to ask you this morning, I want to ask you very directly, I want to ask you very personally, have you repented? Have you heard, of the, heard the call of the Bible to turn away from your sin and turn back to God? Now, I don't mean the you know, word games of saying a confession or something like that, but have you actually in your heart repented and turned back to God? Have you done it? Have you done that business with God? Now, I know there's a bunch of excuses that we might find for ourselves, and we might find ourselves reaching for them at a time like this. We might, we might want to say, well, I'm not that bad of a person. I don't have that much to repent of. Or we might say, I come from a Christian family, or my parents were missionaries, or my dad's a pastor, or I've been at church all my life. Surely, surely this has happened at some point in the past, or someone's done this for me. Or I, I... But have you repented? Have you repented? The, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they made similar excuses. They said, we don't need to repent. We've got Abraham as our father. We've got Abraham as our father. But John is saying, your family, your heritage, it, it, it may have been a great blessing from God to grow up where you grew up and the experiences that you had of church and family life, but it's not enough to save you if you've never personally turned from your sin and turned back to God. God doesn't have grandchildren. God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. The faith of your parents or your grandparents or your spouse, it is not enough. We need to repent. We need to hear and heed the warning before it's too late. We need to hear and heed the warning before it's too late, aren't we? We all remember the Boxing Day tsunami. It was a terrible tragedy. A quarter of a million people lost their lives. And as people over the years have sifted through what went wrong that day, uh, people have realised kind of the event was even more tragic because although the Pacific Ocean has a tsunami warning system, back then the Indian Ocean didn't. It had no warning. And even though some scientists in Hawaii, two hours before the wave struck, knew a tsunami was coming, no alert was raised, no alarm sounded, because they didn't know who to call. There were no systems to warn the people of the impending danger. And as a result, thousands perished. If only they had been warned... If only they had been warned. How many lives could have been saved? How many children could still be alive? If only they had been warned. Well, this morning in Matthew chapter 3, we have been warned. Hear and heed the warning. Repent 
and turn back to God. Repent and turn back to God. Receive the forgiveness that he offers in his son Jesus and the Holy Spirit that can empower you to live a life that is obedient to him. Hear and heed the warning. And this morning we've not only been warned ourselves, but we've been warned that the judgment is coming on everyone who has not repented. And once we've repented ourselves, then we too find ourselves in the position of we too have a warning to sound. We too need to let people know that the axe is at the foot of the tree, that God will not withhold his judgment forever. We too can sound that warning that John sounded so that people might be prepared for when God visits them. Those five for five cards... I don't know what you think of them. First you've heard of them this morning. Maybe sounds gimmicky. Maybe sounds trivial. Those five names are five people who need to hear the warning. They are people who need to know what is coming. They are lives that need to repent, to turn back to God, to receive His Spirit to receive the salvation that can only be found in Jesus. You see, there is nothing more important than we can do with our lives, with our whole lives, than to heed this warning and turn back to God. And there is absolutely nothing in the world more loving that you can do for someone than to warn them, to share with them the good news of Jesus, which involves reminding them waking them up to the fact that they need to repent because God's judgment is coming. There is nothing more loving you can do for someone than to warn them so they might be prepared for when God comes to visit. Uh, What we're going to do to finish uh, now is we're going to do uh, something that we do every now and then, which is we're going to say a prayer of confession together. Um, Now, if you've never repented before, or if you're not sure, or even if you have repented before, you know that you need to keep repenting. You need to keep working at turning your life back to God. So maybe you want to use this prayer of confession um, as a prayer of repentance. Uh, The words will come up on the screen and we'll say them together. Um, I'll read them out. So I'm not a fan of people praying stuff and saying stuff in church that they don't know what it is. So I'm going to read it out for you. And then we'll say it together. So merciful God, our maker and judge, we have sinned against you in thought, word and deed. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbours as ourselves. We repent. And we are sorry for all our sins. Father, forgive us. Strengthen us to love and obey you in newness of life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, can I urge you to make that prayer your own this morning? And can I urge you to love your friends and family enough, to love them enough to warn them that they too need to turn back to God and repent? So will you pray this prayer with me? We'll pray this prayer together. Together. Merciful God, our maker and our judge, We have sinned against you in thought, 
word and deed. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbours as ourselves. We repent and are sorry for all our sins. Father, forgive us. Strengthen us to love and obey you in newness of life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.